This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. I just took the time to read through all the new guidelines from California on reopening churches. And some of these recommendations really make me think that they have been put forward just to frustrate people out of going to church. These are from the new document called COVID-19 Industry Guidance, Places of Worship and Providers of Religious Services and Cultural Ceremonies. But check out some of these guidelines for churches. The state writes, face coverings do not protect the wearer. But congregants should be asked to wear face coverings. That makes a lot of sense. The state advises churches to turn off public drinking water fountains and congregants should be screened for temperature. They also say consider using disposable seat covers for congregants, particularly on porous surfaces or where a facility has multiple daily services, discard and replace seat covers between each use. And they're not talking about the bathroom there. They're talking about in church. So does that mean you have to put toilet seat covers down on the pews? I don't really know. And then they say strongly consider discontinuing singing and group recitation. So you got to stop singing and talking or having responsive readings in church. But here's the guideline that shocked me the most. The state of California stated this. Staff, volunteers, etc. should not enter the home or visit someone who has tested positive for exhibited symptoms of or has been in contact with someone infected with COVID-19 for an appropriate waiting period as described by CDC guidelines. This is basically the state telling the church how it should minister or not minister to those who are seriously ill. I mean, you talk about a violation of the wall of separation between church and state that the left has always loved to cite. And remember, these are the guidelines that came out after U.S. Attorney General William Barr warned Gavin Newsom that his plan for gradually easing the state's coronavirus lockdown could disfavor religious groups. It also came after President Trump informed all the governors that churches are to be considered essential. So are you beginning to see why California's South Bay United Pentecostal Church is taking the shutdown fight to the Supreme Court and why so many California pastors are standing up and saying we will reopen on May 31st? There's a lot going on in California. We're going to talk about all this now with Shane Eidelman. He is the founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Lancaster, California, and now Leona Valley, California. He has put out a great video at ShaneEidelman.com. Open churches now, three undeniable points, why churches can open. And Shane, just a delight to have you with us today. How are you? Janet, it's great to be back. I think I was on many years ago when I first released a book on the emergent church. Excellent. It's been a while. Yes, too long. We're going to have to do this more often, Shane. But I, I really appreciate what you do, and, and I'm glad to have you here. What are your thoughts on what's been going on in California pertaining to opening churches, closing churches, Gavin Newsom, all the nonsense that's been going on lately? So I've got a few hours I can sum up in a few minutes. How's that? Great. <laughs> uh, I'm, we're actually in Los Angeles County, if you can believe that, northern Los Angeles County. So I'm going to try to unpack this because I think what's happening, we still have churches in our area who are not opening, and they're upset at those who are opening. And then if you didn't open soon enough, then you got that group upset at you. That you're not, you know, it's, just, it's just amazing. I'm telling you, the, I've never dealt with this much 
pressure or stress at the at the ministry level. Uh, but we, our church, many of our church engaged in in fasting and prayer a few weeks ago, and that really helped to just seek God in this. Because what happened is. We, we hear this pandemic, so we agreed with the president initially the first 15 days, and then he, he uh, extended the 15-day you know, window to the nation to, hey, let's, let's hunker down, let's see what this is. But then we start seeing, you know, you've seen the fake numbers and the fake photos yep. and the agendas. And so the virus, you know, the vaccines, Bill Gates, I mean, I, I won't even have to, I'm sure you've educated the listeners very well in this area. Uh, so we, we begin as a church to see all this. And then our mayor, or I'm sorry, uh, our governor came out and said it's probably looking like it's three to six months from now. We put churches in the same category as entertainment. Mm. So that's where I think we say, okay, we, we've submitted to authority uh, under Romans 13. And, and actually, the context of Romans 13 is different than this, in my opinion. But, yep. you know, we're, we're to submit to authority, and we've done that. But at some point... We have to remember that the governor and the president even do not say when churches are going to be open. God says when right. churches are going to be open. Amen. I believe he uses spirit-filled believers. You look at Martin Luther, you look at Zwingli and Knox and Calvin, and which, I mean, you just go down the list. There has to be a boldness, even the American Revolution. Yep. Uh, that was. So I think as long as pastors aren't prideful and arrogant and like, let's show them, but it's really coming from a, a humble heart, a heart that's broken for what's going on in the nation, but also saying, hey, we can't, we can't stay handcuffed anymore. We've listened, but now we see there's clearly an agenda. Um, I don't know if you've been following, but I've, I've been getting text messages from nurses in Los Angeles, San Bernardino County, that, that their upper administration is actually listing pe- people who die as COVID, who don't even die of it. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's amazing. So, I think America has been played. I think, and we, and the churches now need to say, okay, enough is enough. We're drawing the line in the sand. We'll, and we'll respect your, uh, you know, your your protocol to open. And you're right, Newsom was not going to open the churches until President Trump came out on Friday yeah. and said what he said. And and these these are restricted guidelines. So we're kind of in that balancing match. You know, we don't want to go in and say, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people don't wear masks. Who cares? Let's just let's just do this. But on the other side of it. I don't know how you handcuff the Holy Spirit. Yeah, um, right. So it's tr- are, are, are musicians going to wear masks preaching? No. Or singing? No. Am I going to wear masks? No. But are we going to have, you know, respect? Um, we're going to encourage people to check their temperature. I mean, just like you would if you're sick, don't come to church, you know? Right, so of course. If finding that middle ground, Jenna, I'll tell you, has been the hardest uh, thing I've, I've done because you, that you are truly damned if you do, damned if you don't on either side. Yes, uh, yes. With opinion. So I think... Uh, people just need to uh, trust their leadership and um, and see what God does. So. Well, I agree with everything you just said, Shane. I had the exact same response that you have had, where we all said at the very beginning when these models were showing these outsized numbers of potential deaths, everybody, I think, who wanted to be wise and prudent about it said, well, definitely we should have 15 days to slow the spread. We don't want the hospitals to become overwhelmed. We don't want people to die, you know, die obviously. But now, with subsequent information, the whole landscape has changed, and it's coming from a lot of reliable epidemiologists and people who are experts experts in the field who are disagreeing with some of the propaganda that I think has come out about COVID. It's not like we're in the Black Plague. You know, it's not like everyone is dropping dead of this. There's a certain sector of society that is more vulnerable, the elderly, people in nursing homes. I saw a statistic today, 42% of the COVID deaths are coming out of nursing homes. And and it's restricted to certain areas of the country as well, geographically, New York, and we had for a time Louisiana. So, how does this impact your church and how you do ministry when you have, on the one hand, you're saying, I think, very intelligent things and very good things about religious freedom as well. 
But then you have other people on the other side who are still in freak out mode. And I don't think these people are really looking at the science. I really don't. No, they're being a lot of people are being fed by the media. For example, Drudge Report, um, you know, it, it's it's doom and gloom and doom and gloom and numbers are rising. And and I, I just my opinion, I, I think the numbers are probably half off. You know, I think I think they've attributed way too many deaths to this. Uh, we just heard recently of a friend whose dad died as a heart attack. They actually put it down as COVID because he had the virus. So the numbers are completely off. We're in fear factor mode. And what you mentioned is the the elderly, those with compromised immune systems, actually the morbidly obese as well. Yeah. What you have is a body that is already that is already. Um, uh, um, I don't know what the right word is, but the immune system has been shot. It, it, and so when you get something even like this or the flu, have you ever had a bad case of the flu? I thought I was going to die. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so yeah, this is, if there, if there was a Democrat as the president, we would not be dealing with this. I guarantee you that much. So what do we do as a church? Well, we have to respect those. I actually have uh, just talked to the husband yesterday whose um, in-laws, actually one of his in-laws did die of covid uh, he was elder, I think, in the 70s, probably 80 years old. And so, you know, I don't want to dismiss what, the, what the, that family is going through and, and uh, others that have been affected by this. And, but at the same time, I don't think we're supposed to live like this as Christians. I actually talked about this uh, when I preached this last weekend to an empty room for the last time. <laughs> that um, The difference between fear, being controlled by fear, is this. Okay, if somebody has COVID or the flu you know, I'm probably not going to bring my kids over. Let's use wisdom. But then that doesn't control the way I live. Now I'm going to stay in my home. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to minister. And so many people are operating in fear, yep. uh, in, 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 that, in that mode of fear, and they're not uh, just trusting God. But also don't think, you know, like the Bible says, you don't just go pick up a rattlesnake to pick it up and test God. Yes, right. You know, so, right. Uh, so to answer your question, I think we need to go out and be the church, but we also need to respect those in authority over us. We need to be sensitive to those. I mean, the world is watching our church. Yeah, Shane, hang on a moment. We're going to go to a quick break. I want to pick it up on the other side. Shane Eidelman with me. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today, right after this. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact for the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. This past week, a woman shared she feared being pregnant with so much going on in the world. The abortionist gave her an RU-46 pill to terminate her pregnancy. Our Preborn Center was there for her, however, reversed the abortion pill and saved her baby. Our crisis line is flooded with women with similar stories. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn will be able to send 100 
$500,000 to clinics if this goal is reached, and you can help. Call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back, my guest, Shane Eidelman, founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in California. And he has some thoughts on everything that's been going down in the Golden State pertaining to reopening churches. And there have been churches, of course, in legal action, trying to get their churches reopened after Governor Gavin Newsom kept extending the shutdown order. And, you know, it makes you wonder, Shane, if you have guidelines here from California that just were issued uh, on Memorial Day talking about how you should have uh, temperatures temperatures being taken when you come to church and you should have uh, seat covers and you should have all this stuff. And I'm thinking, they're not doing this at Walmart. I mean, I don't know what's going on. I'm in Texas, but nobody's taking my temperature at Walmart. So why would you have to take people's temperature at church? What does that tell you about some of the political motivations that are potentially there from this kind of a shutdown? Well, here's, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I have friends in uh, politics in Sacramento. So we get some of the behind the scenes uh, and they're just trying to make it as difficult. You hit this in the, in the nail on the head, as difficult as possible for churches to come back together. Yeah. I don't know if you even read, um, I don't know if you read this on the air, but it also says on those guidelines, uh, 25% of capacity or 100 people in the sanctuary, whatever is lower. Yes. So what do we do? Start having multiple, many, many, many services. And, you know, it's just, so yeah, so that's what we have to do. That's why this is so difficult. But I think uh, our governor, I pray for him. I pray for his wife and his kids. And I mean, that's what we do. But he also, I believe, breached his governmental authority when he breached the Constitution. Yes. When he, when he, see, he signed up to be to um, to uh, be someone who respects and obeys and submits underneath the the authority of the Constitution. That's how we govern. So if he breaks that commitment, then I think we have an obligation to look at then how do we respond to what he did. So. I think you can say, hey, listen, we respect you. We're not going to go in guns blazing and the spirit of arrogance, but we are going to open the church. We're going to seek God, and we're going to get back to what we need to do. So, but what does that look like? You know, everybody's different. Um, It's actually, covering the seats isn't too bad. We found it, you know, if you put just a, let's say, a a painting cloth over the seat, and then when the when one service leaves, you just go throw that in a hot trailer, and then it, the the bench is already clean for the next group. You know, so it's not. You know, we're trying to uh, figure out what do we do, what don't we do, because the last thing you want to do is to be shut down. Uh, right, but you I, know what? It's interesting, Shane. In that regard, when you're talking about covering surfaces, the CDC just said last week that it is not. Uh, possible or at least easy to catch COVID-19 from surfaces. So even right. even that recommendation is not based on what the CDC is recommending. Exactly. And you hit the nail on the head also with the masks. The mask is absolutely, especially you have to write, have the right mask. Many people don't. I mean, the, many of the masks that are being worn are like trying to stop mosquitoes with the chain link fence. Yes. You know, so <laughs> yes. so we see all these, these uh, and, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of health and fitness, and I know what these 
these hand washing and being too sanitary, sanitary, too clean can actually hurt the body. Yes. Our bodies were designed to fight off these viruses first in the mucous membranes and then antibodies. And that's a whole nother topic. But um, so I see so many things that are actually harmful for us. Uh, so how do we, and, and that's, that's what we're working through. That's what we're asking our members as we go back to church this weekend. Just be patient with us. We're, we're trying to work through this. Uh, if somebody needs prayer and their life's falling apart, I'm not going to stay six feet away with a mask on. I mean, I, I, don't, I think I'm on God's side on that one. Uh, so also, though, we have, um, we've had over close to a million, a million sermon views just on one media platform mm. since this started. Amazing. And that's because people are hungry. So if technically, you know, you, you, you go out in the wrong attitude, and, and uh, one of the attorneys we look to, David Gibbs, and also Brad Dacus, Brad's a friend of mine. Yes. And, you know, they're, they're like, just be careful, because the right thing done at the wrong time can be the wrong thing. So we've got godly counsel. I've talked to Jim Garlow, you know that, sure. and, and who he is, and Jack Hibbs mm-hmm. recently, and um, uh, Jack Graham in Texas, and James Robinson. And, you know, the, I, so I reach out for godly counsel. So I think a lot of Christians are, are seeking godly counsel. We're going out at a united force on Pentecost Sunday. Okay, you, you, you've, you've kept us bound long enough. We've submitted, and now it's time for that church to be bold and take that next step. So right. I don't know what it looks like exactly. Um, do we just say, I don't care what California says? Because, see, you're right. Some people are still, still fearful, and they really b- believe that this is, um, you know, something that we have to wear masks now the rest of our lives, and we can't do this, and the church is insensitive to people. The church doesn't care about people because you're exposing people to it, and it's a, it's a very interesting time we're living in. Well, here's something that I thought was interesting. There was a pastor in your area. I won't name who the pastor was, but there was a pastor in your area who put out a video on why we should keep the church closed down, which to me is a weird argument to be making as a pastor. But some of the things that he was saying against opening churches, I thought this was some weird logic. For example, uh, we've heard a lot of talk from people who are on that side of the fence saying, well, we're supposed to love our neighbor. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. So in their mind, loving your neighbor means not having church. He said the best way we can love our neighbors is by not having church. But here's my question, Shane. If you take that logic and you extrapolate it out logically and you say, well, where else would that apply? Then you shouldn't go to Walmart. You shouldn't go to the grocery store. You shouldn't have anybody deliver anything to your home because now you're not loving your neighbor. You are potentially exposing anybody who is out and about for your benefit to a potential contraction of COVID-19. So don't you see, you know, I, I don't understand how this guy is saying it's loving your neighbor by closing the church down. We're having church here in Texas and we're seeing our cases going down. We've been open now a few weeks. So I, I don't know how you could make the case that you have to close your church to love your neighbor. How do you interpret that as a pastor? Well, actually, I know who you're talking about, too, um, and he's in my area, and there are pastors like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sum it up, and I think most of you will agree. These are coming from liberal pastors who, number one, don't like our president. Number two, they don't have sound theology. Yep. Uh, they don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Many of them are for gay marriage. or so, so you see this mindset is drifting to what the world promotes or what the governmental authorities promote. Um, and his argument actually falls on its face because you look at the suicide rate. Have you, have you studied the, the alarming increase? And yes. even doctors are saying, hey, we've got, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think in America, more suicides have happened during COVID than, than, they, than, than the whole year produces. <laughs> uh, alcoholism up 250% in my area, spousal abuse, child abuse. So 
loving your neighbor by being fearful is actually taking that verse out of context. We would actually love our neighbor by, and now again, if this was the Black Plague, if, the, if we were being careless, that, that's one thing. Right. But this is, this is completely different. So I think, number one, they don't like our president. They don't like the administration. And they are very liberal in their theology. So that drift is already there. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I'll just say it. Um, I think many pastors are it, it's in lazy mode. You know, my flesh says, oh, man, let's do this all summer. Yeah. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, just relax. But, I mean, that's, that's not good. So I think many, you know, and, and they are fearful. Now, I'm going to tell you the last ingredient. You ready for this one? Sure. Most liability insurance companies are not going to cover churches that open under uh, if they go against governmental um, uh, uh, um, recommendations. But how could so, somebody sue you if they contracted a virus at your church? They could contract anything at church if they're yeah. out and about. So how, how would that even work? Well, that's what we're not worried about. We're mm-hmm. not you, you, the paper trail on that, trying to prove that. I mean, it just falls on the face. But I've heard pastors say, you know, I'm, I have no liability insurance going into this, but if I do that, if I open up early, Shane, but well, okay, we, we have to trust in God. We can't trust in the liability insurance policy yeah. um, because, and I don't think the insurance company has any grounds either because you can't, you can't link it to that if they were just at Costco or Walmart or you name it, you, you know, the, the incubation rate and, um, and all of that. So yeah. there's a lot of factors here. It, it, you'll see liberal pastors not filled with the Spirit of God, and they're cowards that will, are acting the way that of the person you just described. Thank you. That's what I have been saying, and I'm sure people think that's a little harsh, but I think it's cowardly. It's the truth. It you is. Say love. You say love. I listen to your program daily here, and, and if you can say things in love, listen, guys, this is wrong. You're being a coward. You're not standing up for God. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Where, are the, where, are the wind, where are the Tyndales and the Husses and the White Cliffs? And, Thank you. I mean, you right. know. Right. Well, this is exactly right. If you look at back at some of the plagues that have hit at various times throughout history and how Christians responded, I think some of those Christians would be ashamed of us responding in such a way to a survivable virus, overwhelmingly survivable virus. We're acting ridiculous. And, you know, I look at this, as I mentioned at the outset, the guideline that really was upsetting to me from California was when it said that staff and volunteers should not enter the home of a COVID patient or somebody who had been in contact with someone with COVID. Look, I understand about public health, but you're telling the clergy now, you can't minister to the sick. What, how in the world is that any of Newsom's business? The, the job of the clergy is to visit the sick if the sick need ministering. So I, to me, that's just beyond the pale that California is even going in that direction. Yeah, when it shows the fear, too. Remember, a lot of these legislators truly are fearing um, f- f- what this is. So they're making, they're, they're trying to, um, I, I think, just trying to, okay, we have to open the churches now. Look at what the president said, but we're going to handcuff the churches to such a degree that, you know, they're not going to be able to be out there and be effective right. and, and do those things. But yeah, it, to me, it's the spirit of the age. If we had time, I would tell you about some of this, the perverted legislation they're trying to pass in Sacramento. <laughs> um, it's just it's just alarming. So I think just it just goes along with it. You can't, we're either serving God or we're serving the world. So you see this clash of kingdoms happening right now. Those wanting to honor God, those who are, who are for lack of a better terminology, being led of of the enemy, of God's enemy. Right. So you have these two kingdoms colliding, and as Christians, we're trying to work through that in a spirit of humility, but enough is enough. And I, a month ago, I texted Jack Hibbs, and I said, hey, I'm thinking May 31st, and he said, me too, what great confirmation. And, you know, he's been getting the ball rolling a hundred times more than I have uh, on this. So we united as churches, we came together in prayer, uh, and we decided, hey, let's do this. And then, ironically, the president just came out 
and said he, re- he regards churches as essential. So right. a lot of this has been in the works um, for a few weeks now. We've been working on this. Well, it, it's wonderful, and I'm so encouraged, and I know those of us who are on the other side of the country are very encouraged by your action, Shane, as well as those other brave pastors in California who are not going to let fear control them. They're going to let the love of the Lord control them. Thank you so much. Shane Eidelman from Westside Christian Fellowship. Great to have you here, Shane. Keep up the good work. God bless you. Thank you. You too as well. All right. Take care. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. From Fairfax County, Virginia, to Austin, Texas, to California, students these days are not so much getting sex ed in public schools as much as they're getting radical sexual indoctrination. But how bad is it out there? As my next guest points out, what was once simply imparting science-based information and skills to save sex until marriage has now become creating young radical sexual ideologues with a desire to exercise their sexual rights and parents are largely in the dark about all of it that's the real danger so we're going to find out more about it today from Kathy Roos who is senior fellow and director of human dignity at the Family Research Council they're now out with a new publication titled Sex Education in Public Schools Sexualization of Children and LGBT Indoctrination Kathy so great to have you with us how are you I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for doing this work. I, I yeah, It's awful having to dig through all this as I was reading through your report. But a lot of parents might remember how they were taught sex ed as kids, differences between boys and girls and basic biology. What would you say the landscape is like now, generally speaking, when kids are getting sex ed in the classroom? Well, the, one of the most shocking things is just how politicized it is. It's changed from... Uh, strategies to avoid sexual encounters and saving sex for marriage, to indoctrinating kids into the idea that they have sexual rights, Mm. sort of a sex ideology, uh, and that they have power to exercise their rights. One of the most troubling trends is um, the appearance of lessons on how to consent to sex. I'm not kidding. It comes at kids under the guise of, um, preventing sexual assault, so you don't want to be committing an assault, and when there's lack of consent, then that's a sexual assault. But as I say in my pamphlet, parents aren't buying this, and when you look at the lessons and the people promoting consent education, you see that it's really... Uh, sort of a punch back against the abstinence movement. Yeah. And it is all about this, uh, the, the right to exercise uh, this sexual pow- power that you have. Ugh. And it's for kids. It's outrageous. Well, uh, what ages are we talking about? How old are these kids who are hearing this? Uh, well, of course, it varies from school district to school district. Um, we have in Texas... Uh, Dad's pleading in front of school boards saying, why are you teaching my fifth grader these things? You have moms in California saying, why is my second grader (sighs) 
being taken through an LGBT history class where she has to um, uh, talk about how a cross-dressing gay politician is inspiring to her in her life and to others. Um, You have kindergarten kids coming home and telling their parents that they learned that lesbian is when you have two mommies. Uh You know, it gets younger and younger and younger. Last year in Arlington, Virginia, um, in northern Virginia, we had kindergartners in a public school being uh, filed into the library to be greeted by a uh, transgender woman, that is to say a biological man, who read these children's stories about trans transitioning to another sex, so-called, and told the kids that he was a woman. And this was all without asking parents' permission. So it's really young that some of this propaganda is being um, thrown at kids. Well, it's it's really ridiculous, and especially when you consider that in some states, as you mentioned, parents can't even opt their kids out. So how in the world, how are parents able to get the information about some of what is being taught to their kids, sometimes at extremely young ages? Well, uh, most states have, by state law, say that parents um, have, a, have a right to opt their kids out of sexuality-based lessons. The problem is most schools automatically enroll all kids first. So they make the assumption that all parents want all their children to have all of this stuff. Then parents have to find out about it and then find out how to opt out. So that can be a laborious process, especially for recent immigrants who may have trouble with the English language. You know, how are they going to navigate this whole thing? But then the problem continues because even if parents are successful in opting their kids out of a sex ed class on transgenderism, for instance, um, nobody's telling the parents that in math class they're going to have to watch a video at the beginning of class with LGBT propaganda or in... Um, history class, they're going to be made to do a project um, that involves uh, sex politics, you know, or that next week our whole school is going to be celebrating uh, National Coming Out Day, uh, where we're going to declare ourselves allies of the LGBT crusade. You know, parents aren't told the rest of the story. So, So it's a problem that was bad before when it was just difficult for parents to get their kids out of sex ed class. Yeah. But it's really it's really spilled over into the whole school environment in many cases. And um, that's where it becomes a terrible challenge for parents to find out what's going on and then to protect their kids. It, it's so disgusting. I'm reading through some of the information, some of which I don't want to say on a Christian radio show. People can read it for themselves because I know a lot of parents will have kids listening with them right now. But, for example, you talk about the California Board of Education putting into place this radical sex and gender education curriculum that's supposed to be required in every public school across the state. Can you give us some of the examples of what kids are going to get? For example, I know they've talked about Planned Parenthood's involvement and some of the rights to an abortion and some of this nonsense that kids hear. What are kids hearing when they're going to listen to you know, some of the details, the sexual ideology in this curriculum? Well, I'm very glad you brought up Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood has its, as I say, bloody hands on a lot of this stuff throughout the country. Uh, Planned Parenthood claims to be the largest sex ed provider. Um, you know, there's others, other bad actors vying for that uh, title. But um, Planned Parenthood um, does have curricula. And just to give you an example of where they're coming from, I'm quoting them now, Planned Parenthood says, 
quote, there's nothing bad or unhealthy about having a big number of sexual partners, end quote. And that's what it tells students on its Tumblr page, for instance. But Planned Parenthood um, and others are promoting um, this this idea of, of radical sexual ideology and power. In California, teachers have been instructed, public school teachers, to avoid um, using the terms boyfriend and girlfriend when they're talking with their students <sighs> because they are warned that students might be in mon- uh, uh, non-monogamous or polyamorous relationships. What? That is more than two people in a sexual relationship together at the same time. Kids so might, I'm kids might, the, I'm, just gonna, I'm sorry, kids might yeah, be in polyamory. Uh, yeah. oh, okay. What? <laughs> yeah, right. And so for in California, these public, and I, I talked with, I've talked with public school teachers in California before, actually one of whom who discovered this really didn't try to blow the lid on it uh, just a few months ago, but that, so for lessons as, for kids as young as 12 years old, the um, teachers are uh, supposed to respect a uh, possible non-monogamous relationship that these 12-year-olds are supposed to be in. You know, I, I know, I'm not laughing. I'm laughing because I'm crying inside. Right. This stuff is so, it's so beyond, you can't even process it, honestly. You know, if you talk to any average mom or dad or just normal person with common sense, you read these things and you think it's impossible that this is happening. Yeah. But that's one of the reasons why we did this brochure to to we cite, you know, there's like over 100 footnotes showing where each of these le- types of lessons is coming from, showing the news report, showing how to see it yourself um, because it's happening. Well, it is happening. What about the secret abortion thing that, that, that has come up in the news before? What is really going on with that? Uh, in California, there have been some rumors about whether or not they're going to instruct girls on how to get abortions without their parents knowing. What, what's going on there? Well, that's absolutely happening. Um, unfortunately, through court cases, uh, we know that min- minors have been g- uh, granted the constitutional right to get an abortion without their uh, having to get their parents' consent if they go to a judge for a judicial bypass. Okay, so that's the law of the land, and that's tragic. So um, some school districts are then um, including that in their sex ed, telling kids over and over again that one um, you know, viable option for them is to get an abortion. And if they don't think they want to tell their parents, then here are some, there are lawyers that will represent you before a judge for free to go get a secret abortion That's without sick. your parents' knowledge. That, that is so sick. Hang on just a moment, Kathy. we got to take a very quick break. Kathy Roos with us from the Family Research Council. We'll talk more about sex education in public schools and the indoctrination going on. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child, and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural-born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of 
of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. A gift of $22 will provide one ultrasound, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. And it's great to have with us Kathy Roos, who is Senior Fellow and Director of Human Dignity at the Family Research Council. And she is out with a really important new publication. You can go to frc.org. It's called Sex Education in Public Schools, Sexualization of Children and LGBT Indoctrination. Kathy, you've been schooling us on what is going on across the country in the public schools with some of these shocking sex ed curricula. You've been talking, for example, about what's going on in California. One of my questions, and I'm sure there are many parents who have the same question, is if Planned Parenthood has such an outsized influence as being one of the largest sex ed providers, why doesn't anybody do something about that? I mean, this is still an organization, an abortion giant that is under investigation. We don't yet know exactly how that's going to turn out yet on the baby body parts trafficking. What in the world is Planned Parenthood doing being allowed to have this kind of outsized influence in the public schools? Well, it's because they are... um in bed with the National Education Association, the largest teacher lobby in the country. The NEA has become, and has been for a while, frankly, completely radicalized so that it partners with Planned Parenthood. It partners with the Human Rights Campaign, which is the largest transgender lobby in the country, really in the world. Um, And they... uh, they push this stuff um, down through, so top down from the NEA down to um, will, many willing school districts. Now, I'm not talking about the actual teachers. There are many true blue teachers who don't want any part of this, and some, t- you know, um, we hear from those teachers as well. But I'm talking about more the administrators, um, the school boards. Right. The school boards are a mess in this country. But the NEA pushes Planned Parenthood. Um, and pushes other groups like HRC. You know, one thing that I just recently learned was that the, the National Education Association even offers financial incentives to schools who set up gay-straight alliance clubs for kids. Really? Are, um, recruitment centers for these kids. Um, but, yeah, so they push it with financial incentives. And, um, as I say, there are willing school systems that are happy to bring in Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood um, partners with... Um, there was a video that was um, sponsored by a Planned Parenthood affiliate in my state of Virginia in Albemarle, uh, Albemarle County um, that was shown to ninth grade girls um, without their parents' knowledge. And it was all about 
I can't things I can't even say on the on the air. But um, well, I think I it was promoting the use of sex toys and other things I just can't mention to these sweet nine year old, uh, or excuse me, ninth grade girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and when parents found out and they were outraged, the video was traced back to a Planned Parenthood affiliate. So this is. Um, Planned Parenthood is um, just poison, you know, on so many levels. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you mentioned the human rights campaign, and we talk a lot on this show about the human rights campaign and its incredible influence on politicians and, and things like this. But they have that welcoming schools effort. And, and this is the program that provides training to elementary school teachers, and it's all about inclusion and preventing bullying and supporting non-binary students as if there is such a thing. What kind of influence does the human rights campaign have on sex ed, particularly regarding LGBT indoctrination? Because I think without groups like that and groups like GLSEN, you wouldn't be getting most of this garbage. No, you're absolutely right. And the, the Welcoming Schools campaign, the way I understand it is, um, you know, schools never have enough money. Teachers are always overworked. So you have a situation where incomes a big, powerful multi-million dollar group with all its slick material who says this is the best that science has to offer and that and then the NEA is promoting them too. here here take our curricula and some schools just for whatever reason they, they accept it and um, it has been described the uh, lessons um, are very manipulative they're carefully designed to get children to approve of the concept of sexual rights and fluid sexual identities and, and, and also to reject their family's religious beliefs and the authority of their parents and even physical reality itself in terms of uh, born in the wrong body sort of lessons. So, so these are really very manipulative lessons um, that are coming to us through the Welcoming Schools campaign that... Um, that have no place in a public school that's meant for uh, all of us from all backgrounds, all religions. You know, this should be a, this should be a hospitable, this should be a, school should be a welcoming environment for all people, right. um, not just people that subscribe to uh, fluid gender ideology. You know what I mean? So yeah. this is really, um, this is really m- making Christians and people from other faith backgrounds, people from other cultures, unwelcome so yeah. that it should be the unwelcome campaign <laughs> but they're a point. huge influence um on schools yeah and another thing you mentioned which i think is very critical and i, I think you've also talked about this and austin has about fairfax county and what they've been doing up there in virginia is promoting these prep drugs that to me oh, is gosh. one of the most disturbing things i've ever heard and we've talked about it some on the show these drugs that you take to prevent hiv what are kids being told about these drugs Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, uh, we really fought hard in Fairfax County against the inclusion of PrEP. Um, So most parents have no idea what PrEP is, and they really shouldn't have to worry about it, except now it's coming into public schools. And PrEP is a a daily sex drug that has... So it must be taken every day, and it's for, uh, to reduce the risk of contracting HIV. But it was designed for a particular population, and that is men who have sex with men um, with um, uh, multiple partners, um, anonymous, and of unknown HIV status. Okay, so there's a particularly extremely high-risk community that this drug was developed for. Um, but 
schools like Fairfax County decided, yeah, let's promote it to our high schoolers every year. Um, and we fought that and we lost. So every year now, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade, uh, these precious souls that go to public schools in Fairfax County are, are hearing about this drug. It's being promoted to them. And in fact, this drug was, promote, was voted in to the curriculum even before it was pr- uh, approved by the FDA for the use of, uh, by minors. Wow. So, but even that couldn't stop. I mean, we pointed that out to them, and that, that didn't stop the school board. But Ra- Fairfax County has a very radical school board. They were out ahead of, I mean, a, a year before President Obama tried to bully all schools into allowing transgender bathrooms, our, our, our school board in Fairfax did it voluntarily. You know, <laughs> so we were, so we've, we've got a really bad uh, situation here in Fairfax. But it's not, you know, we are not... Um, an outlier. We, and I know that now from researching and doing this brochure that these, these types of problems are cropping up all across the country. Well, that's what's really troubling. And you have kind of a quaint question in here, and it was my question as well. Are, aren't they supposed to be teaching abstinence? Whatever happened to that? Because I liked that part where you said this is the biology and, and yet there's a morality to it and you should wait until you're married. Well, is that just so passe nobody's teaching that anymore except maybe in some certain court that we're not hearing about too much or what happened to abstinence well what they're doing is just being very deceptive about about it yes it's it's absolutely most parents expectation that sex ed will will teach their kids abstinence abstinence and just to give you an example from Fairfax County uh, the lesson summary that is available to parents uh, would describe the eighth grade abstinence lesson as um, that the lesson will include the benefits of abstaining from sexual activity until marriage. So, okay, wow, that sounds great. When you look at the actual lesson script itself, A, it never mentions the word marriage. And B, what it does is takes kids through a guided exercise to uh, encourage them to be sexually abstinent until a faithful monogamous relationship that just means until their next steady boyfriend or steady girlfriend. Right. That's what a faithful monogamous relationship is, wow. or it could be. Wow. So the lesson doesn't mention marriage at all. I call this fake abstinence. So parents think abstinence being taught, and when you look at the lesson itself, yeah, you should abstain until you're in a steady relationship that's faithful <laughs> and monogamous. So it's, it's fake abstinence. And in Fairfax County and elsewhere, kids are getting this all over the place. Um, abstinence is now a dirty word for all the big power players in the sex ed um, industry. Um, they like to use the phrase comprehensive sexuality education or comprehensive sex ed. But, and they say that that is true science and that abstinence is a fraud. But really when you pull back the, pull back the curtain, what you see behind comprehensive sex ed really is this radical sexual ide- identity. <laughs> Uh, it is at the heart of it is LGBT activism, really. Yeah. Yeah. At the heart of it is the transgender ideology, born in the wrong body. It's terribly destructive. It is. It's um, terrible. People need to read this, Kathy. This is such a great report. Check it out at frc.org, Sex Education and Public Schools. Kathy Roos with us, Senior Fellow and Director of Human Dignity. Kathy, keep up the good work and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Always my pleasure. Take care. And thank you for being here on Janet Meffer today. We will see you next time. God bless you.